be in two passages this morning. Um, initially, we're going to look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, but we're going to spend most of our time in John chapter 4. Uh, this past Wednesday night, we spent a little more time in, in uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and understanding what it means to worship in, in line with that passage, and got to dig a little deeper there, and I so appreciate those who came out to pray and and to learn a little bit more about God's Word and preparing our hearts even for today. Um, We began a a series this past week, uh, Becoming a Great Church. Now, that's not to say that we're not a great church. Uh, We're great only because of who we are. We're great because of of being uh, in the family of the King of Kings. Uh, We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what makes us great. He makes us great. But what can we do, what shall we do to represent him well? That's becoming a great church here as we're perceived and as we practice. Uh, Last week we talked about three non-negotiables that every church must employ. Today, again, looking at the characteristics of the church. And today specifically we're looking at worship that to become a great church we have to become worshipers and i'm talking about biblical worship here this morning so the question you may have is what is worship and if i ask that question to you perhaps you would say well it's what we're doing here we've gathered together on sunday morning we're going to worship and great that's part of it william temple said this and it just shows that that worship is Probably far deeper than what we expect it to be. William Temple said, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of mind with his truth. The purifying of imagination by his beauty. The opening of the heart to his love. The surrender of the will to his purpose and all of this gathered up in adoration the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable john frame said this the entire christian life even as a priestly offering to god And when we meet together as a church, our time of worship is not merely a preliminary to something else. Rather, it is the whole point of our existence as the body of Christ. You know, about the worship service, we talk about, well, we're going to do the worship part, and then we'll do the preaching part, and then we'll do the giving part. Well, it's all worship. Uh, we're worshiping right now as we come before God in his word and we listen to him. The gospel coalition said this, worship is the response of the whole being, heart, soul, mind, strength, to beholding God's glory. The Holy Spirit enables it. It is fixated on gospel truth. God's self-revealing word directs it. It involves personal and corporate expressions. 
The worship that pleases God is only possible by the saving work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy We were created to worship. We were created by God to worship. And we're each participating in worship to some degree, and it's targeted at something or someone. So the Bible has a lot to say about worship, as it should. But let's look at at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is Paul speaking to the Romans. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is appealing to the Romans by the mercies of God. So what are the mercies of God? What are God's mercies that have been directed toward us? I made a short list. But it will put you in the right mindset or the right perspective as we look at this particular passage. See, God's mercies are everything that he has given us that we do not deserve. Love, grace, peace, joy, saving faith, comfort, strength, wisdom, hope, patience, kindness, honor, glory security, eternal life, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, freedom, intercession, just to name a few. We did not deserve it. We certainly didn't earn it. But by his mercy, he extended these things to us. His character, his person. And as we understand and remember the mercies of God that have been extended to us, then we will be compelled to worship him. That's what what Ryan was saying. When we realize who we are and we realize what has been given to us, we cannot help but worship him. For he is worthy of all worship. Paul goes on to say to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Well, what does... The implication is that you will obey the leadership and command of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout your daily life. It means that you're making yourself fully available for God's purpose. That you make yourself available by offering every relationship, every activity, every desire to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we cannot just to an hour on Sunday morning. We cannot worship even to the following hour in Sunday school or to Wednesday night. Worship is a lifestyle. It's something that we do because of who he is. It's our response to his truth and love. So our desire to worship God will increase as we saturate our minds with his word 
They're being conformed to the ways of the world. And Paul goes on to say that, that, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if we want to live differently this year, we, we talked a little bit last week about being intentional, being intentional about walking closer with Christ this year. Here's a, a really easy uh, plan to follow. Ask God to speak to you daily as you read his word daily and as you obey what he says daily. That's a life of worship. And that will change your walk with the Lord. That discipline of listening and obeying positions us for God's work in us and through us. And Paul said, God transforms you by the renewing of your mind. I spoke to this on Wednesday, but the secret of renewing your mind is not trying to think better thoughts. And I fear we often approach Christianity this way. We'll make a decision for Christ. We've heard the good news and we say, I need a Savior. And we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But from that moment forward, we say, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to stop doing this thing. I'm going to start doing this thing. I want to be better. I'm going to change the way I'm thinking. I want to make better decisions. And, and it's all about us. But what we realize is we fail with the very best of intentions to honor and glorify God. We fail. So the secret to renewing your mind or, or to change your way of thinking is not to think better thoughts, but it's to yield to the Spirit and allow Him to change your thoughts. That's something only he can do. And it's something he will do when we surrender ourselves to him. So just with that of word, why it's important that we would have a commitment to genuine worship to become a great church. So you're looking at a surrendered body that is listening to the Lord and following what he says. I can't think of a better way to be a great church and to do what our Lord is saying and what he's leading us to do. So we become a prepared people for the Lord's work in us and his mission for which he has equipped us. This, in, flipping over to John chapter 4, uh, we're going to slide on into the study that, uh, that God led me to talking about worship. John chapter 4 is uh, primarily this, this encounter with Jesus and a woman at the well. And so as we come into this, just to give you a little background, Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. And the shortest route between the two cities was through Samaria, about 70 miles. Now, my translation says in verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. But since that route was not the only route, it would probably be better interpreted to say this. It was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. Because now there's a different element. Why was it necessary for Jesus to pass through Samaria? And I would answer you because I can look back at Scripture and say there was a divine appointment for Jesus and a woman at the well of Jacob in Sychar. That's the whole purpose. He went through Samaria. 
Now, we can look at this text, and I would just say that it is a wealth of, of study, that we can look at the truth of God. There are many ways that we can approach this. We could talk about the mercy of Jesus toward this woman. We can talk about the, the missed opportunities of the disciples. We could create attitude of the disciples. We could learn about evangelism. We could identify the differences between a religion in the name of God and a re- relationship with the living God. But today, we're going to look at what Jesus said to her about worship. I want to begin with a biblical definition. So simply, I took the, the word worship from the New Testament, and I, I looked at that word in Greek, and this is what the Greek definition is of worship. It means you demonstrating your allegiance through attitude and position. The definition does not say that it must be directed toward God. See, worship is an attitude. Worship is an activity, and it's a demonstration of your allegiance through an attitude and position, which means you can worship your family. You can worship school. You can worship your career. You can worship sports. You can worship Satan. You can worship God. Worship yourself. But we know from God's word that we are not to be worshiping anything other than the living God. For when we do, that is an idol that takes the place of the living God. Therefore, we must be cautious that we do not reserve worship for Sunday morning only. If we're only worshiping on Sunday morning, that means we're worshiping someone else or something else the rest of the week. He's worthy of all of our worship. He came and he died for you. That you might be redeemed from the depths of hell. That you would be reconciled to him. He is worthy. He's done it all. We're going to look at verses 19 through 26. John 4, 19 through 26. Sir, our Father on this mountain, if that's bothering me, it's probably bothering you. You can wave. (laughs) Can you hear me now? Let me start that again with John 4:19. I'm not doing the introduction again, okay? <laughs> John 4:19. The woman said to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship." Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Number one in your outline, we worship what we know. We worship what we know. The only way to prepare the soil of the heart for the seed of the gospel is to plow it up with conviction. And if you were to look at the previous verses, that's exactly what Jesus did with this woman. They were having a casual conversation, and he began asking about relationships. Next thing we know, she's confessing about her relationships. Now, much like you and me, we do not like to talk about our sin. That's not something we want to just hang out there, especially if you're talking to a good teacher such as Jesus, who's perceived as a prophet. And so what we see here is she deflected the conversation. She didn't want to talk about herself anymore. She wanted to talk about the differences of beliefs between Samaritans and Jews. Interestingly, when when Jesus returned in the conversation, he spoke contrary to both. He wasn't saying, you know, you're right. You say this and we say that and we're just never going to get along. He didn't say that. But he proclaimed something that we know to be true today. He said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, as the Samaritans, or in Jerusalem, as the Jews, will you worship the Father. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. See, worship is not a location, but a state of the heart. Jesus revealed to this woman that she did not know whom, where, or how to worship properly. He clarified here that all religions are not acceptable to God. And that some worshipers are worshiping in ignorance, in unbelief. I'm not saying these next few things for the sake of saying them, but simply as an example of what Scripture says. If you believe that Jesus is anyone other than the divine, sinless Son of God, if you believe that he's anyone else other than God the Son, he can't save you. You can have your own thoughts about Jesus. He's a good guy. He died on a cross. He was, he was buried. He came to life. But if he's not divine and sinless, he can't save you. Your beliefs do matter. If you believe that he is the brother of Satan like the Mormons say or he's the archangel Michael, like the Jehovah's Witnesses say, you do not worship the Jesus of the Bible. And if you do not worship the Jesus of the Bible, your faith is on shifting sand, and you do not have what you hope to have. 
If you believe that you can attain eternal life outside the completed work of Jesus or that he needs your assistance to keep salvation, again, you're ignorantly headed toward eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is the way. There is no other way. And I'm not speaking that the Baptist is the only ones or the only ones who have it right. That's not what I'm saying here. But I am saying this, God said there is but one way to eternal life. There is but one way to forgiveness. There is but one way to be reconciled to God. And that way is Jesus Christ who offers forgiveness of sins. And unless you surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you do not have salvation. That's just scripture. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're Methodist, Catholic, or Baptist, or Church of Christ. It doesn't matter what you are. If you do not believe God's word, you do not have what you claim to have. We need to be certain of God's word. We need to know what he says. So let me give you a couple of verses. Acts 4.12. Listen. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Philippians 2.10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, to be a great church, we must know who Jesus is and we must follow who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. John 14, 6. If your faith or religion is anything other than what God says in his word right here, I beg you to align your faith and belief to what he says, to his truth, to his revelation. To be a great church, we have to know that he's God the Son. And I would ask you this morning, do you know God's holy Son? as the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul. Do you know him? Number two in your outline, we worship in spirit. Jesus said, the time has come when true worshipers will worship in spirit. One meaning is that worship must originate from the heart motivated by our love for God and in gratitude for all that he's done for us. See, that requires some knowledge of who he is. It requires some knowledge of what he has accomplished so that we can appreciate and, and therefore love who he is. I don't know if you realize that there, there actually is much planning that goes into a worship service. Outside of the, the prayer and, and the study and preparation and practice, There's other, there are other elements. And you know those elements. You just don't recognize them in your mind right now. Temperature, seating, sound, <laughs> as we've just come to notice. If, if it's not working, we notice it, don't we? Lighting. There, there are so many elements that go into what's happening right 
here. And so we gather corporately to worship together. But I cannot make you worship. You will either sit here in worship or you will sit here with an opportunity to have worshiped. I cannot motivate you to do so. This is a response of your heart to him. You can go through the motions of worship or you can respond to God because you love him. And when we get our minds wrapped around to what it means to to honestly respond to him in love and adoration, not because someone said to do it, not because someone said to stand, not because someone said to fall to your knees, not because someone said to come to the altar, but your response to the love of God is to respond to him. When you get there mentally, and when we all get there mentally, we experience worship. It's not orchestrated. If it's simply orchestrated, all we're trying to do is get an emotional response. An emotional response is not um, an eternal response. To be clear, worship in the sanctuary is not a result of what happens on the platform. We cannot walk out of here and say, well, you know, I really didn't like the songs, uh, therefore I didn't worship today. I really didn't like that message, so I didn't worship today. It's not a matter of what has happened here. It's a matter of how you respond to the truth of God. Another meaning for worshiping in the Spirit is that worship occurs through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Despite what some may think, the Holy Spirit is not a ghost that floats around. The Holy Spirit is a component of the triune God. He is as much God as the Father is and as the Son. The Holy Spirit is real. He is the promised gift of Jesus who perpetually resides in the children of God. Some of his roles, convicting, comforting, empowering, reminding, teaching, and working in us to be more like him. It's through him we experience the fruit of the Spirit as he changes us. The Holy Spirit awakens our understanding of God's magnificence and his power and his glory. We we cannot do this on our own. The Holy Spirit stirs us to celebrate and to rejoice and to be thankful. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to acknowledge the, the, and remember all that God has done on our behalf. The Holy Spirit does this in us. He leads us to corporate praise. He is active in the church today. So to be a great church, we must worship in spirit. The third element, we must worship in truth. Worshiping in spirit, would you say that your worship could be described as your efforts to glorify God or would you say that it's a heartfelt response resulting from the prompting of the spirit of God? The truth Jesus said, genuine worshipers would worship God in truth. That means our worship must conform to the revelation of God, which is his word, the truth of his word. This is where we understand and respond to his character and his ways. Worship should never be dictated by the things we like. should never be dictated by things that um, make us feel good. 
It should always be surrounding the truth of God, the revelation of God and our response to that. Not responding to God's truth in worship leads us into idolatry of worship where we gather together to please ourselves. Where when we walk out, we pat each other on the back and we feel pretty good about what we did. But listen, if there's no response unto God, what have we really done? Every time we're exposed to God's word, we're exposed to his character. And, and it compels us to line ourselves up with him, to turn from our ways and to align ourselves to his ways. Therefore, when we come into an opportunity of worship, when we come into a time where we're just looking at his word and we're understanding his word and the Holy Spirit is doing his work in us, that we might know his character and know who he is and what he wants to accomplish. If we don't respond to that, what are we doing? You see where it's important that we genuinely worship together to be a great church where we are actively aligning ourselves with him, that we are listening to him and we're doing what he says to do. Jesus did not say true worshipers would worship God in spirit or truth. He said they would worship in spirit and truth. The Gospel Coalition says this, Christ-exalting worship is the fruit of light and heat. The light of truth shines into our minds and instructs us about who God is. Such light in turn ignites the fire of passion and affection, resulting in joy, love, gratitude, and deep soul satisfaction. Worship must be initiated by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's simply our efforts to try to please God, in which we will fail without Him. Focusing on the truth of God, always exalting Christ. To be a great church, we must worship in truth. And in your worship, is it more about your preferences or is it about your response to the truth of God? Do you see why it's important that we corporately and individually seek to worship God? We're not going to do so perfectly, but we can certainly set our minds and our hearts to him as a daily experience as we surrender our hearts to his way. As we walk with him and celebrate him and, and, and walk in gratitude for what he has accomplished. There at the end of the verses that we read, the woman at the well said this, I know the Messiah is coming and he will tell us everything. One of the few times in Scripture Jesus identified himself, he said, woman, the one who's talking to you, that's me. I'm the Messiah. The Messiah came. And he described for us in his word, authentic worship. The Son of God told us how to worship God. See, there's not a, a, an opinion poll here. 
We're not asking, what do you think? What do you think we ought to do? How, how do you think we ought to worship God? That's, it's not a question because Jesus told us how to worship. Motivated by God, initiated by God, and we follow him. We must worship in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus said. It's not isolated to a location and a time. It is a way of life. Setting our heart to him. Worshiping the the living God. Becoming a great church requires us to abandon our ways. Now, we've we've been part of a church experience. I think most of you have been, been part of a church experience, and you know what you like. You know what you don't like. But the standard is not your opinion or your feelings. Standard is God's word. He said worship in spirit and in truth. Listen, that's everything outside of us. (laughs) We can't depend on ourselves. The heart is deceitful. It's sick. We can't depend on following our heart in this. We follow him and him alone. So as we close, let me ask you these questions. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ of the Bible? Do you know him as the sinless, divine God, the Son who came to redeem the people that he created, to reconcile them to himself, who, to provide them a way to eternal life? Do you know him? Not just in your head, but do you know him because you've surrendered to him? Have you surrendered your life to him that, that you know him as your Lord because he's the boss of your life? And he's your savior because he spared your soul. He bought you with a price. With his very own blood, he did this for you. Do you know him? If not, this morning you have an opportunity to come. To find out more if you don't know how. To make that commitment today, what it means to follow Christ. If you already follow him, do you, do you worship him in spirit and in truth? Or do you see right now, there's some adjustments I need to make in my life to worship him authentically. And that's my commitment today. To abandon my ways and to seek his. To not just isolate it to an hour, but to live a lifestyle of worship to him. Will you commit to align yourself to the Father in heaven? Aligning your worship to the living God alone. Will you do that today? I'm going to lead us in prayer. And we're going to have an opportunity to worship. We're going to to respond to the word of God. And I don't know what that means to you this morning. And maybe it's letting go of something. And I've explained before that that the altar is a place of death. That in the Old Testament, when they brought something to the offer, it was required by God to come to the altar. And it was very descriptive of what must happen. They did not drag the sacrifice back into the tent. They left it to God. So maybe you've carried something far too long. Maybe you're carrying a burden this morning that you need to let go. You need to bring it to the altar and lay it down and walk away from it. 
Maybe it's a commitment that you're now ready to make. The invitation for you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're just ready to join a body of believers right here in Boaz, Alabama, this is your time to make a decision and respond to the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning humbly before you, recognizing that there's nothing good within us, yet you have sought fit to sacrifice your son on our behalf. I pray that we have a greater understanding of the mercies that you have extended to us. And as we dwell on those and remember those mercies, Lord, that we would be compelled to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would move within us right now. That you would draw us to yourself. That you would call to the lost. That they would come for salvation. Lord, may you build your church this morning as we surrender all to you. Lord, I'm thankful that we can come to you. But I'm thankful that you don't leave us where we've been. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand.